Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, another great interview today. Yeah, I enjoyed talking to Leandro Mazzoni, who is a professor at the University of Arkansas and a soybean breeder. He breeds and develops soybean varieties for specialty markets, as well as incorporates a lot of new technologies into his breeding program, working with students. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear Leandro's background the fact that he grew up in Argentina in agriculture. Uh, it was very interesting to compare and contrast farming in Argentina or more broadly, uh, you know, other countries compared to how, you know, we do a lot of our food production here in America. Yeah, I think farmers from the United States are going to be shocked to hear that the Argentinian government takes 30% of the sales right off the bat from Argentinian farmers. So without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation with Leandra. It's great to have you on the podcast today, Leandro. To kick things off, would you mind telling us a little bit about your background? Hello, Preston. Thank you uh, for the opportunity. And thanks, Jason, for, for the chance to be with you guys. I'm, again, Leandro Mozzoni, originally from Argentina. I got into ag, essentially my, my father, he had a, a service lab where he would do um, soil testing and, and seed germination tests for farmers in, in the country. And essentially I was cheap labor. We would go pretty much every day and count to 100. The, the moment I learned to count to 10, not even to 100, they count to 10, we would have budgets of 10 to count to 10. And, and we would help him with the, with the seed germination and uh, setting up all the, the sand and, and trays and, and roll papers. So that's how I got into, into the lab side. And then my uncle, um, they had a, a farm not very big. The, the area of the country I'm from in Argentina is in the Pampas region, right where the, all the soybean and the corn is grown. And historically, there was an area where it was colonized um, in the late 1800s, the early 1900s, and farmers from Europe came in and they settled small farms, at the most couple hundred acres um, on average. And so he had a fairly small farm but he would grow soybeans and corn and wheat and peas. And so that's, that's where I got some of the, the open field agriculture experience. So we would spend summers uh, with him and, and just do a little bit of, of field work. I probably hurted him more than helped him when you are 10 or 11 year old. Trying to help him. <laughs> I don't know how much we did, but it was definitely fun. And that really caught my eye into ag. So having both lab and field growing up, it really got me into doing a, a bachelor's in agriculture at the University of Rosario in Argentina. I never really thought too much into plant breeding. That's what I'm doing right now, uh, genetics. I always liked all of the agriculture. I strongly believe that as plant breeders, if you're going to develop a crop, right, you need to be able to grow a crop, a crop that you're trying to, to, to breed for. And so I, I feel I am an agronomist who happens to do plant breeding, right? And I, I like plant breeding, uh, but I, I, I like agronomy as a whole. And so I, as growing in, in my um, times in college, I, I did internships pretty much on anything from soil sciences to biologicals and genetics. And then in the last, it was a very long program. So it's a six year, it was at the time six years to get your BS down there. And in, in, the, in the summer of the 
the, the year before last, right? Between year five and year six, I wanted to practice my English. And so I, uh, when you, it's, in, in Argentina, it's kind of similar to, to the US when you go to school, elementary and, and probably high school, you have, in the US you have Spanish, but you truly don't really know how to speak Spanish right. unless you <laughs> really go and study. And so the same was down there. So I, I, I had English in school, and then when I was in college, I took some English lessons, but I, I truly really wanted to learn English. And so I wanted to spend the last summer in an English-speaking country. And um, I wanted to go to Australia. And my dream was to go to Australia to practice English. Um, I, essentially, I probably practice English on the surfboard. That's what I had in mind. <laughs> And I did all the, the background work. I, I, I looked at the cost at the, the university and room and board and everything. And I don't remember the numbers exactly, but it was something like, I needed say $6,000 to spend two months in, in Australia. And I, I shared it with my dad and my mom. It's like, oh yeah, I got all, all of this is all ready. I, I have the application ready, I can submit. And my dad asked me and said, like, how much money did you save your summer work in the previous years? And it's like, I saved two uh, thousand. I said, and how are we going to come up with the other four? <laughs> and, and I said, uh, I think it's coming out of your pocket, right? And we ended up looking for another alternative. And <laughs> A little so, cold water on your dreams there. <laughs> yes. He said, I'm going to get you to do an internship uh, in AG since you are doing AG. Since he had again, since he had his AG background, we, we, we knew some folks who had done um, Essentially, graduate studies in the United States, um, and but between getting into the United States and, and Australia, there was an opportunity halfway through that it was uh, a farmer next. I mean, one of his closest friends, he was Irish, right? and and so he still had all these his relatives up in Ireland and they had a farm. And so my dad called him up. I said, oh yeah, they can, they can take him up on the farm. He can, he can learn ag um, in, in Ireland. The problem was that we're in South America, right? Southern Hemisphere. Um, my summers was not Irish summers. It was during the winter time. And so the, the guy up in Ireland told him, well, he can definitely learn English, but we'll be drinking whiskey in a bar. <laughs> and so my dad was like, uh, you're not going surfing in Australia. You're not going to learn uh, Irish, uh, English, uh, drinking whiskey in a bar. So that's how we ended up in Arkansas, because it, it was the, the next best alternative <laughs> that I could find that was actually learning and not just having fun, either drinking or surfing. And so I ended up having a very blessed opportunity to, to do research in plant pathology. So I, I was um, accepted by Dr. John Roop who is a, an extraordinary plant pathologist. Uh, he works with diseases of soybeans. He was one of the first um, researchers that, uh, that uh, reported, I think he was actually in the report of stem canker um, in, in, in Arkansas. He is the, one of the editors of this compendium of soybean diseases, right? So he's, he's an encyclopedia of soybean diseases. And so I, I came in for three months in the summer of 2002. Um, Argentinian summer of 2002, and I did some some internship um, researching uh, southern death syndrome in in soybeans, and there I had the chance to meet the soybean breeder because I was actually uh, 
working on a little research project for one of my summer, one of my classes, right? The way the, the year worked in Argentina, we had to turn in a project at the end of the summer for my genetics class. So I was looking for the paper I couldn't find anywhere. And I met the soybean builder and he gave me that that paper and he turned around his office and he pulled a file folder with the name of an Argentinian, right? So there are 40 million people in Argentina, but the breeder pulled a folder and, and, and he's like, do you know this gentleman from Argentina? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, I have no idea. There is only 39,999,000 more folks out there. Um, but he's like, well, this gentleman had applied for a master's degree with my program uh, but he changed his mind. And so now I have funds, but he's not coming. Do you want to come? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I came looking for a paper and I'm having a paper on one hand and I'm nice. having an assistantship and offer on the other. So I'm like, that, that's how life takes you, how God leads you to places you do not expect. And so from going to surf in Australia or drinking whiskey in Ireland, I ended up having an assistantship for, for a genetic study on soybeans the subsequent year, because I still had one year left at the university in Argentina. And that's how I came in, in 2003 uh, to the University of Arkansas to do soybean breeding research. Not necessarily looking for it, enjoying it very, very much. Uh, but that's that's how life takes you. And so I, I did my master's uh, with Dr. Chen, a, a very, very... Um, uh, superb breather, very good breather, um, very hands-on, right? One of those 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 folks that know the know the field and, and and know what he's looking for in a crop. And so I did my masters and my PhD both with him. I, I helped run the, the program when when I was a student, and then uh, I graduated in two thousand and nine, and that's when I was offered the the chance to start a brand new soybean program for Monsanto in Nebraska. And so again, a very, very, very nice challenge just out of graduate school, getting a, a brand new program uh, under your belt. And so I, I spent from 2009 till 2017 working in the, in the private sector with very, very fond colleagues and friends, people who know a lot of, of breeding and, and, and agriculture. And then in 2017, opportunity opened up to, to come back to the public sector and, it's, and back to the university that, that I got my, my training on. So it was an opportunity to come back and return um, to the university that, that trained me, right? So return to the community. And, and this is what I've been doing for the last almost four years now. So uh, still having a, a soybean applied active breeding program, but also doing some some uh, research in, in some of the, the new cool arenas and also training students, new um, students into my program and, and, and hopefully train new agronomists and, and genetic geneticists and plant breeders for both for the public and for the private sector. So you've been focused on soybeans basically all your life, it, it sounds like, for quite a while. That is correct. Yeah, pretty much since I since I started uh, the, the graduate work was always soybeans. The, the concepts are, are very interchangeable, right? So if you if you go from from soybeans to corn, for instance, there are some things that you may do different, but it's it's a similar principle, right? So it's like a veterinary, right? A vet can take care of a dog and a cat, no problem. The same with 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 the, with this plant breeder. It takes 
So I'm getting used to, right? So like I said to me, I, I believe that you need to know how to grow the crop that you're uh, developing varieties for. So if I were to jump out of soybeans into a different crop, you will definitely uh, need to learn, relearn the agronomy uh, of that crop. But the, the principles of the tools that you need to do are, are exchangeable. I always think it's interesting to talk a little bit about the differences or the similarities in agriculture around the globe. So I, I think that probably most farmers in the U.S. are pretty well aware that Argentina is a significant soybean producer. What proportion of the agricultural crops are comprised of soybeans in Argentina? And kind of what's that breakdown look like? Is it very similar to the Midwest and the U.S.? Or is it, are there different crops that are in that rotation? Farming in, in central Pampas of Argentina, right? So all the, the area in the central part of the country where it would be similar soil types and, and, and production agriculture than the Midwest, um, it, it's very, very similar to what you would see in Iowa or Illinois, right? Um, most of what we grow, I, I don't remember, especially now that the prices are, are up and down, I don't remember the, the proportion of soybeans to corn. It always changes based on, on, on prices, right? But um, soybeans is the largest crop uh, that we grow. Um, then comes corn. And very far distant would be wheat. In terms of production, the vast, 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 vast majority of acres are dryland, right? Similar to Iowa or Illinois, right? We don't really have much irrigation. Uh, so my, my time in Nebraska was, was I always work on, on irrigated crops, but I, I never really had that opportunity when I was in Argentina. But uh, back in Argentina, most of what we grow is, is dryland. With the introduction of glyphosate tolerant crops in 97, 98, uh, has been a very big push for no-till production. So again, the, the, the number of acres on, under conventional versus no-till, I don't have them in front of me, but the vast majority of acres are under no-till in Argentina. I think the, the good opportunity for conservation practices, mainly water, right? So of course, erosion uh, control is very critical what you see, but they saw an opportunity to conserve moisture um, working on dryland crops and having glyphosate as a tool to control the weeds, both in, in pre-plant and in season, it really gave the, the country the opportunity to take off with no-till production. And all three crops in the rotation handle no-till very well, right? So like, for instance, in Arkansas here right now, where we grow a lot of rice acres in the rotations with soybeans, well, it's really hard to put a no-till crop if you're going to have to, to tear everything up and, and build levees and, and, and do all the, the work they need to do to do the, the, the rice paddies, right? And so in, in Arkansas, it's really hard to do a, a no-till system because of the rotations of what we do. Um, in, in, in the Pampas region of Argentina, where you have either a, a soybean corn rotation, in some areas they do soybean monoculture, although it's mainly not necessarily because of agronomy, but mainly because of cash flow necessary. And then there are still some areas where they do corn, soybean, and, and soybean and wheat, uh, spring wheat in the rotation. And so that's mainly what we do in the country. The, big, the biggest difference and, and in terms of adoption of practices that I could think 
comparing the U.S. agriculture and, and Argentina is that there's a tax where the, the value always changes depends on how much money the government needs. But right now it's about 30% of the soybean uh, board of trade price it's taken down. So it's 30%. If, 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 if soybeans are $15, um, farmers would see 10. The other, the, the other five goes straight into the government. Wow. And you pay all the regular taxes, right? So that, really? yeah, no, it's, it's insane. It's a retention tax. It's, 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 it's putting a lot of pressure into ag, but it's also putting a lot of pressure into efficiencies, right? So you, you have to run everything you do very, very effectively or you run out, I mean, you go out of business. And so farmers in Argentina are very eager to, to new technologies that can actually save you money or, 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 increase, or increase your yields and outputs or save money. And so that, that's what I think it's, it's, it's an interesting difference with, not necessarily with the U.S. per se, but with almost any other uh, type of agricultural system where you have such a high taxation of what you do, uh, you need to implement everything you can to to make it to the bottom line of your company. That's really interesting. And we just, our last episode, we talked to a Mexican farmer and he commented on some of the challenges that they have with their government there. And I think farmers in the U.S. are pretty fortunate that the government is very supportive of farmers in this country. Definitely. I mean, as of yesterday, it was a news Argentina having a lot of economical issues at the moment and very high inflation rate in the country, about 50% a year. And wow. they, they announced that they were going to ban all of the meat exports of the country originally for 60 days, I think, or 30 or 60 days. Um, last, last time they tried it, uh, it was 15 years ago and the, the 30 days lasted 10 years. And so... <laughs> Yes, if you follow, if you go back to um, uh, livestock price, uh, I don't know if, it, if it's a Chicago or whatever it is that you get the livestock price in the U.S., the, the U.S. livestock prices, I think, went up 14% because of that announcement from Argentina because they would open up opportunity for U.S. to take over some Chinese markets that Argentina was going to walk away for who knows how long uh, in, in this process. It sounds like we could have a really interesting economic discussion here, but <laughs> we better. But that, that, that's, and that's not my strength. So I, I, I'm playing right outside of my comfort zone here. <laughs> we better switch gears and, and talk about one of your strengths. And we want to get a little bit into your research. But I understand that you, as part of your research, you're also developing commercial varieties, which I really wasn't aware that there's still a significant work going on at public universities to develop commercial varieties. Is that a fairly big marketplace or how many varieties are released into the marketplace that come from the public sector, I guess? Well, it's, it's a, of course, it's a small market compared to what the, the big three companies could do. Um, the, 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 the Bayers, the Cortevas and the, the Ingentas of the world. But I think it, it has it has a place, right? And so there is there are about five percent, give or take, say anywhere from three to five percent of soybean acres that are conventional, right? So non-GMO, um, not necessarily organic, but they could be used for organic in there. So the organic soybeans will be within that that bucket of, of three to five percent. 
of acres. So the, the, the total acreage of conventionals is it's small, but it's it's a it's an acre that grows for a premium, right? So it's either you get a premium out of a conventional crop, or if you have a conventional organic crop, you can even get into into a premium through that matter. And when you look at the seed guide from again the large three companies. Uh, you could be lucky if you find one or two conventional varieties up in their uh, pipeline, right? So the, the, the larger corporations have moved into traits for soybeans and they have a, a good justification because you're, if you're targeting 95% of the market share uh, with, with traits. But there is a little bit of room for conventional varieties. And that's where some of the universities, or at least all of the public breeding is operating in conventional. Some were actually operating also under the traded platforms, right? So most of what we do in Arkansas, it's conventional, but we have some varieties that are traded. In the past, it was glyphosate tolerant. There was an opportunity of time before it came where we had Roundup rate to yield, and it was a Monsanto trait. And right now we are operating, we started last year, so we're in the introgression phase, but we're operating with enleased soybeans, the Cortiva uh, trait. The idea is not necessarily to compete for the large acres, right? So the, the products I could develop um, or I would develop, my target is not to, to get a soybean varieties that, could, that would move east to west throughout all of the mid-south, but I believe that the strength that the university has, where you have a, a very heavy local um, testing network and, and local genetics that goes back to multiple uh, decades, is hopefully exploiting that to develop competitive locally adapted varieties. In my case, to Arkansas, some of the other uh, universities are doing some somewhat similar approaches. I know Missouri is also working with uh, some of the um, herbicide traits. Uh, Georgia, University of Georgia also have access to some of those herbicide traits. As a breeding program, we have two outlets, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm moving slightly away from what you, what you asked, but I think it will help answer the question is, as a program, I develop a product that is a commercial variety. And that commercial variety can be marketed in multiple uh, ways. If it's a conventional variety, it, historically those varieties have been released for um, through a foundation seed plant and farmers have the freedom to buy essentially certified seed and, and safe seeds, right? So there is no patent infringement that will prevent the farmer from saving seeds. There is always the agronomic practice, best recommendation of actually buying fresh seeds, certified seed, because you know you are getting a high quality product. And, and so it makes more sense to buy seed instead of saving it, but um, there is no restriction on somebody having, uh, if, if they want to do so. Uh, and then going through a foundation plant opens up markets for different companies who want to become um, distributors of certified seed classes or registered seed classes of that commercial variety. That's mainly for non-GMO non materials where we could go. Some of these materials are also licensed to um, seed companies and, and, and local seed companies. 
they may or may no longer have breeding programs, but they still sell commercial products. Sometimes they pick up some of our varieties through either exclusive or non-exclusive licenses. Exclusive tend to be some niche varieties that are unique for either food composition type of materials or food grade varieties. And, and then the, the commodity type conventional soybeans, they could end up in the hands of a seed company through a non-exclusive license. And that has been historically. So we may see some movement there uh, we've been seeing some movement there uh, in, in the last few years as varieties are being disclosed, right? So if, if you, there are companies and even public efforts to list what is the line behind the commercial product. So to help farmers, if a, farmers, if a farmer wants to diversify, truly diversify what they plant, um, Sometimes buying different brands doesn't help you because you may have the same genetics behind it. And so there are some efforts now to, to expose what's the genetic behind a, a particular brand name. And so some companies are now moving towards exclusive licenses. So they have, um, they covered that right and they don't share the same germplasm with other companies. And then the third approach, going back to, to how we get our soybeans out into the marketplace, is this um, traded approach that in our case it's been enlisted. Uh, mainly the reason why I moved to enlist is through it's because of the timing at which we were able to access the trade. Um, the, in, in Arkansas there is a lot of demand also for extend um, and, and the, the, my program is still it's small in scope and can't really have every trade out in the in the marketplace, right? Um, so we have to pick of the different traits available or in the future, which one was the, the one that, that made the most sense for the program at, at the time of our decision. And because of the product timeline, uh, Enlist made, made perfect sense for our program. And so we, we picked Enlist and the materials that we will be seeing out of that program, hopefully within a year and a half from now, those materials will go through essentially a, a licensing um, platform. So they will not be sold necessarily through a University of Arkansas um, Division of Agriculture brand, but it will probably be, uh, be licensed out to other companies. So it's, it's, it's kind of like having two different hats. One is a germplasm provider as a university, but also another small hat as a seed company. The, the, the limiting factor for us as a seed company is that we don't have the marketing tools available to a large corporation. So we don't really do a very good job at marketing and getting to the end customer, right? So getting to a farmer to plant the, our variety, it's, it's, it's very difficult for us. And so it makes perfect sense to develop our genetics and, and help a farmer plant uh, genetics in, in the state that helps the farmer, but usually going through a company that has the resources that we don't to make that possible, right? So all the, the seed action efforts, all the, the marketing efforts, all the, the other agronomy that goes be, beyond, because the farmer usually don't just buy a soybean seed, you have to buy the soybean, the corn in your rotation, and the fertilizer and the insecticide and everything else, right? And so I, I think it, it makes most sense to, to use all the tools available. Because at the end of the day, our role is to, to so if you go back to the division of agriculture um, mission, 
it has some sort of wording to the to the fact of saying improving Arkansas agriculture and families, right? It doesn't say how. As long as we do it, uh, we are living our mission, and it, it doesn't have to come out of a, a, a branded soybean variety from the division. Uh, if it's a research we conduct that gets transferred to the industry and that industry can um, make it available to the farmers, we're conducting, conducting effectively our work. That's very interesting to hear how you've kind of worn different hats in both the public and private sector uh, and to hear the differences between you know the development of these varieties and the different channels. I was curious, are there any other research projects that you're currently involved with? So in terms of research, um, yes, we, we do. Again, if, if we were to look at my time, it's about half of the time is, is developed products. And the other half of the time is, is looking at opportunities either to make that product development more effective or efficient. Right? That's kind of like looking at research to help me as a breeder or looking at research that will make that product better. Right? And that's that's research in terms of genetics of the crop, right? So looking at, uh, in, in terms of research of genetics of a crop, we do work with uh, flood tolerance, a little bit of work on reduced irrigation or drought tolerance. We do have work on southern root nut nematode, SRKN. And that's a very, very important nematode in the Mid-South. It's the same pest, a, a problem of cotton, and actually can infect corn as well. So it, it's, it's a very important pest. And with the changes in production, agriculture that happened in the last 20 years in the Mid-South, we moved planting from late maturity groups that used to be here, fives and sixes in, in the Mid-South, pretty much everybody now is, is growing group fours. We changed the maturity, but in breeding, we did not carry all that resistance. And so it's very, very hard to find a good resistant variety that is a group four. So we are, we're working through the sponsorship of the local promotion board, the Arkansas Soybean Promotion Board that helped us significantly in our program. We're actually working on, on bringing some of that genetic resistance into some of our lines and working with the nematology group trying to characterize how that resistance truly works. So we have research in, in those arenas. So it's, it's, it's research on abiotic and biotic stresses. And then in terms of research that helps me as a breeder, we are actually doing some research in doing our process faster, right? So there's a, a catchy term that it's, it's in vogue now that is called speed breeding, right? It's not anything new. It's, it's, things, it's the same thing that people have tried to do since we started doing breeding, it's it's getting to a final product as quickly as you can. Um, what we may have now are different and cooler tools to uh, go faster, but the principle itself it's it's pretty old, right? So go as fast as you can, use all the tools available. But we, we've been looking at research growing beans and in a gross chamber, kind of like trying to stress them very, very hard, but shortening the cycle significantly. And, and right now we actually have a growth room that it's in hydroponics, kind of like, it's not vertical farming, but we could make it into a vertical farm once we get all set up. But we're trying to see how, how we can actually grow under light. So it's like those soybeans in a hydroponic system Again, stress them very, very, very hard with the intent of just getting one pod per plant and go very quickly in our generation advance process. We're not looking for higher seed output, but just go really quickly in, in our inbreeding or our um, generation development. 
That's really interesting because obviously the goal of any breeding program is always to bring new varieties to market and obviously to do that as fast as possible. And over the years, I mean, things have been sent to, from North America to South America during the off season to get an extra generation or to Hawaii or wherever. By stressing the plants in the growth chamber, how quickly can you get viable seed from a soybean compared to some of those other methods? We, we could actually do five generations in a year. Wow. Here's the, the, the key, Jason. What we're trying to do is, is something, to me, I'm, I'm cheap, right? So I, I don't have a lot of horses. Try to go with very fancy growth chambers where you can uh, pump CO2, right? If you put uh, carbon dioxide, you can help the plant move faster. You can, you can go something big, high tech that it's extremely expensive. And then when you do your math, you're like, I may have been better off by, by going slow and putting them in, in Puerto Rico. Um, but what I, what I want to do is something that it's, um, it's scalable. All, all, all the room, all we have, it's, it's, a, it's a hydroponic system that cost me $300 to put. Um, a, a lamp, a set of LEDs that are in the 500 bucks a piece. Um, and we have a, an air conditioner and a heater. That, that's all there is, right? The, the idea is something that it's, it's scalable, but that I can make it run cost-effectively. And with that, we are actually able to do, like I said, anywhere from four to five generations, twice as fast as what you could do if you were to go United States and a winter nursery in, in South America. If I were to walk into your growth chamber, would I, would I recognize that as a soybean plant or are they much more stretched out and do they look a lot different? They, you you would go in there and they they look like a soybean plant from hell because <laughs> they they show symptoms of uh, nutrient deficiency. Uh, we try to keep the the key is the light, right? So you have two type of lights. We have the, the red and blue lights, and then you have a, 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 this the sun, the, t- the total full spectrum light. For some of the hydroponics, especially all the work on, on hemp and, and I, I believe in the marijuana work, they, since they want bigger plants, they are pushing lights that, that have the full spectrum of represent the sun, but that doesn't really help us because that will make me a, a big soybean plant and I don't want a big soybean plant. So uh, we, we tried to keep the plants to, to be fairly short. We had two different lights. One of them, it, it, it has all that full spectrum light and the plants got, grow tall and, and, and spindly and, and, and all messy. But the other one that, that has a much stronger set of blue uh, component, um, that kept the plants a lot shorter and stressed. And I haven't been able to reach my goal of just one pot. I think we, we're always getting uh, about 10 pots per plant, but uh, we, we definitely shorten the, the cycle and, and shorten the, the output per plant. So I know you work a lot with students uh, in a college setting. Me and Jason also, you know, we have a lot of interactions with students. In fact, a lot of the listeners of this podcast are students in the agricultural field who are, you know, looking for opportunities in the future. Do you have any advice for these students who maybe want to seek out a career in the breeding field? And what would you tell a student that how, you, how do you consider, you know, the future of plant breeding? Do you think they'll have a space when they get to that point? It's a very, very bright future. What we do will never be out of fashion, right? So the, the question is, what is it that we do and what tools do we need now from what tools would we need, say, 10 years from now when, when a student graduates? And the way I approach it with my students, I have 
couple masters and, and a PhD student. And to me, whether you're, a, a, say, a plant breeder, right? So we're, in the past, a plant breeder had a lot of time in the field and, and looking visually at the crop and spending time with the crop. Some of that has been taken away uh, to, to a different degree, depends on the on the company you're, you're working with. But that still doesn't take away the fact that you are growing a plant that eventually will be put in a field with you know, 150,000 more plants per acre if it's a soybean, right? Um, and so you're, you're growing a crop and the farmer uh, needs to plant it and make money out of it. And so from my perspective, the students need to know agronomy. Right? So I, I just finished this spring, I was teaching soybean production at the university and we had a, a cohort of undergraduates and a couple of graduate students who are going to be doing soybean research, not necessarily soybean breeding, but just all of soybean research. And to me, understanding the crop, right? The physiology, the soil science, the weed management, the entomology, the disease, all of that is critical. And so a solid agronomy background, it's, it's important in what we do. The other thing I ask my students is specifically in terms of genetics is we need a, a stronger genetic background. It used to be that a very difficult topic of quantitative genetics. It's a lot of math, right? Lots, lots and lots of math. And that area was pretty much reserved for either geneticists or for the, the animal breeders or some of the corn breeders. And, and, and some of the other crops, we really didn't deal with that too much. But times have changed and, and most of the new tools are very, very dependent on quantitative genetics. So first of all, if you're still in college and high school, just learn your math. I still regret not being very strong with matrix algebra. Every time I have to look at some of that stuff, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I wish I would have studied that when I was in high school or college. Um, so having a strong math background is important, even though we like biology, right? We love to be outside, we love the outdoors, but math is critical on anything we do. And then for, some, like I said, some of my, my, especially my advanced graduate students, we tried to do some more work in terms of studying and research in the, in the genetics uh, side. And then one piece that I find overlooked, I'm actually teaching a class this fall for the second time, we're doing a business, right? So I would argue, not even if you're just doing pure basic research in the public sector, you're still running a business, right? You still have a budget to operate. You still have to have an output and you, have, you still have to have some sort of objectives. But especially if you're looking at soybean breeding or, or crop breeding from a private perspective, we are training students to get into a business unit. They need to know all the other stuff that a business needs to operate, right? So this, this fall I'm teaching the business of plant breeding and we cover very high level, right? But we deal with some of the regulatory issues, right? So compliance, some of the key highlights on, on things in terms of human resources management and, and conflict resolution, um, how to have difficult conversations with your employees, right? Um, we, we deal with um, how to set up a breathing program from a perspective of setting up goals and looking into developing action items. So for me, there is, a, there is a lot of research, there is a lot of agronomy in what we do, but there's still a very heavy component of engineering, right? And operations, it's critical. 
some of the students could actually be operations manager, operations managers, right? So Jason, you ran operations um, at the site uh, for a good number of years, and and it's critical to to have a, at least some experience in in that arena. So we're trying to give some of that to my students. In the same set of tasks is that you will see in some of the, the larger corporations, um, some of the the newer roles are, are very heavy in matrix structures where you don't really have direct reports, but you work with other peoples and you manage a project. And so the University of Arkansas has two things. One, it's an operations management master's degree. And within that operations management master's degree, you have a project management certificate. And so I, I, I asked my PhD student, she's actually, I don't think she's going to go all the way through the project management certificate, but at least she took the, the project management class. So that, uh, I guess, at the, at the end of the day, when she graduates, the idea would be to have a little bit of, of a flavor for everything, right? So understand the agronomy background, understand the genetics, have a little bit of a, of a flavor of, of what it truly looks like when you walk out of school and you set the door, set foot on the door of a large corporation where you have a million dollar budget to operate a program and, and, and you do not know what to do because you went from handling 50 seats on a cross to you know, a gazillion uh, set of things to, to manage in the private environment. So I think there is a lot to, to learn that actually makes it cool and challenging, right? So you, you, you know you have to um, get yourself exposed to multiple things before you graduate. But that, that opens a lot of opportunities to, to go and work in, in, in multiple arenas too. That's interesting. The, the bottom line basically is, you know, you, you really laid it out that a well-rounded education is really important. And that probably doesn't only go for plant breeding. That goes for any career, really. I mean, you may wonder why um, you're spending all this time in math if you intend to have a career that, you know, you don't think will use math maybe. But really, it's surprising how much you use of what you've learned when you least expect it, sort of. So here's a here's a the funny thing. So right uh, for for this business of plant breeding class, I I I started teaching it when I when I transitioned from the private sector because I, I had all that uh, private experience. But then I felt bad because I was giving a fairly biased training because essentially it was all my 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 life experience to the students. I I started taking some of the classes in 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 this operations management program, and um, I do not like law. I do not like uh, sociology, all that stuff. I, I love biology, man. I, I like to be in the field. I, I love my soybean plants. I, I like biology, genetics, all that stuff. I don't like math. Um, but I don't know how long I, I graduated. 30 years ago, I graduated from high school. I'm now studying again uh, law. I'm studying again all, all that stuff on on. on related to psychology that comes from, 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 from HR side. So you may have a, an area that you truly love and you should follow the passions, but you definitely need to be uh, well-trained and, and have a round training because you will need those tools coming from the other disciplines to, to be able to have good conversations with the rest of the folks. Otherwise, you, you, you don't speak the language that they will be speaking. You're not supposed to be an expert in business. So here's my, my personal experience, right? So I started working in the company in 2009. On a Tuesday, on a Friday, we had a town hall. I never heard of a word town hall before. It was a town hall and there was a CEO showing a whole bunch of red arrows and everything was going south and we had permission to go and take notes. 
And I'm like, oh, what's going on? I had no idea what he was talking about. I had never really cared about business at the time. And I'm like, I guess I should have paid a little more attention to those classes <laughs> because now it's actually, <laughs> it's actually impacting my salary. It's actually impacting my potential uh, uh, performance bonus. So yeah, it, it, you need to know about a little bit of everything to, to, to be able to have good conversations. We definitely appreciate your time here today, Leandro. And just before we finish up, before we wrap up here, I'd like to ask you, because I know as part of your research, you also integrate technology into your breeding program. I mean, you talked about that just a little bit with your speed breeding, but what about the future of, you know, we think about technology, but really any area, the future of agriculture, the future of plant breeding, what is really most exciting to you about the future? So to me, the, the most exciting part of the future is that um, it, it doesn't depend on one person anymore, right? So it, it, it used to be where everything was supposed to be either uh, traits, right? So like in the 90s, and we had the first GMO, and, and we thought that with, with biotechnology, we can solve all the world problems, right? And then we knew that biotech has a tool. It's one of the tools, but it's not just a single tool. And now we're seeing all the CRISPR, all of those gene edits and all that stuff. And and we're jumping all behind that. But at the end of the day, it's just another tool. And so to me, the, the exciting thing is that there's a lot of tools coming into the toolbox that we can actually deploy. And, and those tools are, are very, very wide, right? So it goes from drones to gene edits to genetics to regular agronomy um, and so that's it that's the most exciting piece because you now now you actually have to work with a whole bunch of other people uh, into a team and and make that product happen well Leandro we really appreciate your time here today and the conversation that we had uh, is there a place people can go to learn more about you and some of the research that you do I guess the simplest way would be just to do a, a Google search for Leandro, L-E-A-N-D-R-O, uh, last name Mozoni, M-O-Z-Z-O-N-I, and then put University of Arkansas, or U-A-R-K, and that will get you to the university and, and, and our websites. Great. Thanks a lot, Leandro. We appreciate your time today. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Preston. Thank you for, for, for this. I really appreciate it. It was fun. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.